Two weeks ago, we dealt with God speaking through his word, through his son as our supreme prophet. And in this holiday season, one of the things that we said is as we have gone through Christmas, as we've gone through the gift giving and the gift buying, and we see all the nativity scenes in our culture around us, as we meet together with friends and family, as we see our loved ones, one of the things that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago is that our, my desire is that we would see Christmas in an even deeper light, or this holiday season in an even deeper way. We said two weeks ago that God has decisively spoken through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is our supreme prophet. He's not a prophet that's on par with other prophets in this world or like the prophets of Islam, for instance. But he is the prophet, the very word of God incarnate in the flesh. He is the God who has come to save and rescue his people. And in him, we see the beauty of God. And then last week, what we did was we, we looked at God's or Christ's office as high priest. And we saw what he's done for us. He has reconciled us to God by giving himself up as a satisfactory sacrifice to satisfy the divine justice of God. He offered himself up. He dealt with the very thing that stood between us and God, namely sin. And we said last week, the issue in this world is not a lack of education. It's not that countries are warring with one another because they lack this or they lack that. The issue in this world is actually sin. And it is for sin that Christ has decisively come to deal with so that we would be reconciled to God. And he, by doing that, showcases to us that he is our high priest. And so as we draw this series, this three-part series of Prophet, Priest, and King to a close, what we'll look at today, we come back to Hebrews chapter 1, and we look at Christ's third office as our King. And this has huge implications for us today, because we normally don't think in terms of kingship. In fact, we live in a country that has a president and a cabinet and all of these governors who rule and reign in different sectors of our country. But we don't normally think in terms of bowing our knee to a monarch, to a king. But today we will look at Christ as our king. We live in a very superficial culture that loves to have 30-second videos truncated with information so that we can go on our merry way after we get the 30 seconds of info. But we can't put the prophet, priest, and king into a 30-second clip. There's too much here. We must learn to drink deeply. We need to learn to think deeply. We need to go hard after God, as it were. And see him for who he is. And so the series that we have gone through where we see Christ as our prophet, Christ as our king, and Christ as our high priest now comes to a close as we focus and zero in on the first four verses of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And the psalmist, 
as we're looking at our king in all of his glory, there's a whole lot that could be said about Christ as our king. But as we look at our king this morning, we come with David and we say, who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? What is the relationship between you this morning and the king of kings? What is that relationship look like? Do you know him? One of the most stunning things that you can tell people who don't know the Lord is that right here, right now, December 31st, 2023, you believe in a physically reigning king of kings named Jesus Christ. And the world doesn't know that. The world doesn't know that there is a King of kings and Lord of lords who physically reigns and rules from heaven, who said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Most people today don't know that this is true. And so in our text this morning, my aim this morning is to point your eyes away from the presidency, away from what this country is doing, away from what that council member is doing, and look to your king. And we'll do that by looking, by just asking three simple questions. We'll ask, what was the role of the king under the old covenant? And we'll look at his administration or the the administration of the king's. Then we'll ask the question, what did the people of Israel aspire to in their coming king? And so we'll look at the aspirations of Israel. And then finally, who is this king deserving of acclamation? So I do it in three words that you can easily remember. It helps me to remember my own outline and hope it helps you of administration, acclamation, and or aspiration and acclamation. But let's look first at the question. What was the role of the king under the old covenant before Jesus came? Well, the Lord gave dominion to Adam. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 28, what we have there is that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on this earth. And so Adam was invested with the authority to operate as a king, as it were. He was the first man on the earth, and he was the one that was charged with subduing all of creation. All things were placed under his authority. But he forfeited that. He sinned against the Lord. He knew what he was doing. And so his authority was cursed so that by the sweat of his brow he would work. And so from him, the splintering and the fracturing of all relationships is clearly seen throughout the history of the world. As you see kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall and everyone pursuing their own gods instead of the God of all creation. But we don't really get to kingly language until we go to places like Genesis 11 or Genesis 49, where Jacob is blessing his sons. Yes, we get Melchizedek, a figure who is both priest and king. And then you fast forward to Jacob, where he's blessing his sons. And he tells his son Judah that the scepter will not depart from him. You fast forward over 400 years later 
Moses comes on the scene and he writes to the people of Israel after God has delivered the people out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness. He is shepherding them through the work of Moses. And now Moses writes in Deuteronomy 17 what a king ought to do. And so let me read for you what Moses wrote to the people of Israel so that you get a flavor of what the king should be doing. Right now, they don't have a king. Moses can't rightly be called a king, but he is leading them through the wilderness. And so he says, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, whom the Lord your God You shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. That phrase, among your brethren, is very important throughout Hebrews. Because Christ is taken from among his brethren. You shall set as king over you. You you shall not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But But he shall not multiply horses for himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. So for the first thing that we see Moses telling the people in, uh, as they're coming out of Egypt are what the king is not to do. He is not to gather military might. He's not to gather all of these wives for himself. And it's not a practice for the king that was filled with lustful thoughts after women that he would gather all of these wives to himself. It was for the sake of establishing alliances with other countries. And we later see that with Solomon, who had for himself 900 wives and 300 concubines or something like that. So what does the king do? Or what should the king be doing according to Moses? It shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he will or he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God And be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. In other words, what's happening before they even get into the promised land, Moses is instructing all of the people that you are going to one day have a king. And when you do have a king, your king is not to be like all of the other kings who gather military might, who return back to Egypt, who gather all of these wives for themselves and making political alliances. No, this king shall be different. And this king shall be taking the law, which is in the book, and he shall make a copy of it and write it down, and he shall have it with him all the days of his life, memorizing it. So, in other words, if you speak to the king, what you'll find is that he ought to know what the law is. This is the administration of the king, and If you move forward into Israel's history, what you'll begin to see is that they are going into the promised land. They want to be like all of the other kingdoms of the world. And they reject God as their king and they ask for a king. Please give me a king. Please give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations. We want to have a physical face representing us to the world. 
So that all of the nations can see that we are a prominent kingdom. Give us a king. Enter Samuel. Samuel the prophet goes before the Lord and the Lord tells Samuel, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me as their king. All of the history of Israel is marked by the failure of their kings. And this is something that we need to understand, that we are not to be people who hero-worship political leaders. All of our confidence in political leaders will fail. Every single political leader will fall. And the Bible always, the, the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that the kings of Israel did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Why does the Bible care to do this? Why does Scripture teach us these things? Because our confidence is not in chariots. Our confidence is not in horses or in people who can make public administration. Our confidence is in Christ alone, is in our King of Kings. And this is where Israel was headed towards. They were longing for a shepherd, a king, who would lead his people as a shepherd leads his flock. And some of you may be wondering this morning, how is the Lord caring even for Reformation OPC? Under the Lord's administration, how is the Lord caring for you? Well, the fact that you're here is a start. That the Lord has gathered a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The fact that he's gathered you together by the power of his spirit is a start. Because if you are honest with yourselves, if we're honest with each other, if it wasn't for the Lord, none of us would be here. But under the king's administration, he brings people from every tribe, tongue, and nation together And so here we have Reformation OPC, an outpost of God's kingdom here in Queens. Praise the Lord. Under the administration of the kings in the history of Israel, what we are shown very clearly from the scripture is that even though the Lord appoints and sets up his rulers over his people, all of these will fail. So you need to look to someone greater. What were the aspirations? If that was the administration, a dismal administration for Israel's history, what were the aspirations for the people? What did they want to be? They wanted to be great. They wanted to be prominent. In fact, the Lord tells the people of Israel that you were brought up in beauty. And that he clothed Israel in beauty. And she grew, and she grew mature, and then she grew proud in her heart. And she forsook the Lord, and she wanted to be like the nations. And so the Lord gives her over, but the Lord pleaded with his people. And by the time we arrive at Matthew's gospel, over 400 years have passed since the last prophet came. The last prophet, Malachi, said that the Lord will send the great Elijah before the great day of the Lord. When Matthew opens his gospel, we have about 200 people coming from the east, including three wise men, more or less, coming from the east all the way to Jerusalem. And if you saw a 
army coming into New York City from another country, you would have some red flags being raised. And this is what happened with the people in Jerusalem at the time. Herod and all of Jerusalem with him was troubled because they asked, where is the king who is born of the Jews? When Jesus begins his public ministry, all of Israel was in, was in anticipation. They knew, Isaiah chapter 9, that the Lord would establish his king, that his government will be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. They knew, Psalm 2, that God has set his king on his holy hill. When was that king coming? Was it Jesus? And this is what everyone's asking. Is it Jesus? Are you the king? Are you the coming one? Is what John the Baptist asks. Or look at the end of Jesus' ministry when he is about to go into heaven. The disciples ask him, at this time, will you restore the kingdom back to Israel? And what does our king do? You can see the aspirations of the people, even of the disciples. But what does Jesus do? He takes their eyes places it not on Jerusalem, but beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Because it's not a geographical location that Jesus is concerned with. He is concerned with all of the world, all the ends of the earth, Jew and Gentile. So we go from administration to the aspirations of the people to the question, who is this king who deserves acclamation? And this is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. And I promise we are getting to Hebrews chapter (laughs) 1. The administration of the kingdom is to be by one who rules forever. That's what the Lord promised. The aspiration of those in the kingdom is that this one will liberate Israel from all of her enemies. In fact, at one point they tried to take Jesus by force because they wanted him to be king and overthrow Nero, King Herod, and all of the other people that were in power. And Jesus would have none of it. You ever ask the question why Jesus always tells people, don't say anything to anyone? And the reason is because he doesn't want people to misinterpret what he is doing, what he came to do. And one of the things we have to realize, too, is that we don't come to God on our terms. We come to him on his terms. We don't define his mission. He defines his mission for us. We don't dictate to God who he is. He dictates to us who he is. And we do that with all of our relationships. We don't like people telling you or telling us this is who this person is, especially if there is a false report in it. No, we say, no, let me clarify for a second. This is who I am. And the same thing with the Lord. We come to him on his terms. And so we ask the question, who is this king of acclamation or deserving of acclamation? Out of 274 verses in the book of Hebrews, this preacher, because the book of Hebrews is a sermon, This preacher thinks that it is necessary to place the offices of prophet, of priest, and king within the first four verses. Because he is setting up the sermon so that everyone will know who this king is. Ten things he says about this king. Number one, 
He is the one through whom God has decisively spoken. See that in verse 2. God in these last days has spoken to us by his son. Number two, he is the heir of all things. Number three, he is the creator through whom all things were made. Number four, he is the brightness of the glory of God. Number five, he is the express image of God. Number six, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Number seven, he made cleansing for sins as our high priest. Number eight, he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Number nine, he has become better than the angels. And number ten, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than the angels. This is the king on full display. Or as one songwriter says, this is the king in all his beauty. The king is, or this king is the one who did not raise his voice in the streets, but went to the cross like a lamb led to the slaughter. And yet he is the one through whom God has decisively spoken in real time and in real space. One person said to a missionary, I don't have time for this. I don't have to hear this. And the missionary pointed his finger at that man as he got up and started leaving in the middle of the church service. And he goes, yes, you do. Everyone needs to hear this message. Everyone needs to hear this message because God has spoken. And when God speaks, let all the earth be silent and bow their knee before him. This king is the one who, although he was rich, Even though he enjoyed all of the riches of heaven, he became poor for your sake. This king is the one who, even though he was never created and always existed, became man and took on the likeness of sinful flesh, putting on the very thing that he created. So that every square inch of this created order belongs to to the Lord. This is why when you buy houses or when you buy things like your car or your clothes, everything that you have, including your bank account, belongs to the Lord as a stewardship to you. Because at the end, when Christ returns as our judge and as our king, he will ask and give, he will say, give an account for all of the things that I've given to you. And those who don't know the Lord will try to hide themselves from the face of Christ. And for all of us who love the Lord, who know the Lord, will say, Lord, these are the things that I did with what you've given to me. I could have done more. I wish I would have done more. But by your grace, I did what I could. This is the king who Isaiah saw in all the brightness of his glory. And this is the same king who shielded his glory so that in his humiliation and in his exaltation, he would be seen by all for who he truly is, the brightness of the glory of God. This is the king whose face was marred beyond recognition. And now in his exaltation reveals to us the very face of God. 
This king was crushed for our iniquities, whose hands were held up by the nails and wood that he created. He is the king who upholds all things by the word of his power. And get this, listen to the power of this king. Not only does he uphold all galaxies, all suns, every single molecule in existence, but he is also upholding all of your sanctification so that each and every one of you are individually being crafted to look more and more like Christ. And there is no hiccup in his power. There are no power outages. This is the king in his glory. This is a king whose name is above every name in all history, past, present, and future. And this is the humble king who made himself a little lower than the angels just for a time so that as he entrusted his soul to his father, he would be made higher than every name that is named, whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. We have the administrations of the world in front of us. We have the aspirations of every single single person in every single country before us. And we have the acclamation of all of the nations and all of the kings in front of us. Everyone's hero worshiping some way, somehow. But this morning, I asked the question... Who are you worshiping? We can say that we are worshiping the King of Kings in name, but in our actions, we do something different. And the Lord's providence and the Lord's administration as King is not just over every square inch of the galaxies, but when He is your King, He rules over all of the affairs of your own heart. So that, as it were, your heart is like a country whose king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the king that was previously there subjected you to the lusts of your flesh. So that you obeyed them joyfully. Not knowing that you were headed straight to hell. And so, what do we do now? Well... This king of king rules this world so that he works all things together for the good of his people. The wars that are happening in various parts of this world, the recessions, all of these things that are happening in this world where to the world's eyes seem crazy. God is at work in his administration to bring all of these things to a head so that all things work together for your good. These things are happening in this world under the providential care of the one who rules over all kings in this world. And this is why when you read the book of Revelation, the first words out of Jesus' mouth is, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the ruler of the kings of this earth. So, When a person is drawn out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Christ, everything changes. Everything. Everything changes. Because now, instead of living for yourself, 
you are now radically reoriented to focus on Christ. He is the reason that you live. Christianity is not about coming to a set of textbooks, but coming to a person who we will see face to face. I told someone the other day that really what ministers do is we prepare people to die. Why? Because we are preparing people to see the face of their risen Savior who has the keys of of death. And he can raise the people from the dead. When a person is drawn out of the kingdom of darkness, you do what pleases your king. Not out of fear, but because you know that he has called you, he has justified you, cleared you of your sin, and not only cleared you of your sin, but he's taken you from his courtroom and brought you into his living room. As a child. Laziness under the reign of Christ is turned into productivity because you are now working to please God, to please the Lord, not to earn his favor, but because you have it and you do it out of love. Apathy is turned into zeal because. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. What more can I do for you, O Lord? Depression is constantly warred against because you know that in the presence of the King, there is a fullness of joy, like Psalm 1611 says. Honoring those above you at work or in school or in your family no longer becomes an obligation, a drudgery, but it becomes an act of love because you are honoring those people in your life whom God has appointed by His providence. Under the reign of Christ, reconciliation is now possible. Those who have offended you, who you have sworn in your heart, you may never say it on your lips, but in your heart you said, I'm never talking to that person again. Or you can say something like, I can forgive them, but I don't have to love them. Well, that's a wicked way to think. Because if Christ took that attitude towards you, then you would never be his friend. But what does Christ do? The Lord Jesus reconciles us to the Father, brings us to God. By the work of His Spirit. He speaks to us in various times and in various ways by His Spirit, through His Word, so that we would be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And now because this is done, this reconciliation vertically between us and God, between us and the King, now we can go out and be peacemakers and reconcile, even if the other person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And why do we forgive? Because the King has forgiven us. If you dismiss his work as King, then everything else will rule your life. The lusts of your flesh, reading your Bible will become no, uh, not important at all. It won't, you won't even care for it to be called your Bible. 
showing up to where God's people are gathered will mean nothing to you. If you dismiss the rule of Christ as king, the lusts of your flesh will rule you. And Paul says to the believer, I'm speaking to believers now, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Sin shall have no dominion over you. That king has been kicked out. If you're not a believer, then you have no choice because your sin is your king and the person who rules your life is none other than Satan himself. You live for yourself. You live and you love to have it that way. And so this is why we plead, come to Christ. Come to Christ. It is for freedom that he has set you free. If you don't dismiss his work as king, you will understand that he is the ruler of the kings of this earth. And you won't despair going into another election year. Why? Because he is the one that appoints the rise and the fall of rulers. You won't be afraid when you hear of wars and rumors of wars because you have a king who is upholding the universe by the word of his power. You won't be afraid to raise your children in our culture. Why? Because the Lord has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is the one that prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Nothing will be able to move you because you have made Christ your refuge. The Lord has conquered sin. That's why we don't have to obey the lusts of the flesh when it says, give me this. We can say no by the Spirit. Christ has conquered Satan so that you are not afraid when Satan whispers lies into your heart. Christ has set you free. And he says, when you look out at this world and you say, and you're threatened with anxiety, and you say, I don't know how we're going to last another year. What did the Lord say? Be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. The king, your king, our king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ is not subject to the policies of this administration or the administrations of any government to come. He reigns. And this is why we can say our God reigns. Our God reigns. Can you say that this morning? My God reigns. Come life, come death, whatever may happen, come life, I can die today. My God reigns. Why? Because I know he will raise me up again. And I will live and I will see him face to face. This is a hope that this world, New York City, does not have this hope. This country has zero hope. So they anxiously fret over social media and all of the things that they can lay their hands on to find some sure grounding for their feet. But we have a king in heaven who administers all things according to the counsel of his will. 
And so the question now becomes, as we draw this series to a close, Christ has spoken to us as a prophet. Are you listening? That's the first question that I asked two Sundays ago. Christ has come to deal with your sins. Will you acknowledge that and confess your sins and bow your knee to him? And Christ has come as our king. Will you bow your knee to his reign? At some point, everyone's going to bow their knee. Some are going to like it and some aren't. Are you, which camp are you in? Christ will continue to preserve Reformation OPC. But more than Reformation OPC, the Lord will continue to preserve your souls. And this is who we look to. We don't look to any systems. We don't look to anyone else but Christ our Lord. And for that, we give him all the glory. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have set your king on your holy hill. And we ask now that whatever was not profitable would be blown to the wind. But, oh, Father, we pray that whatever was profitable, that you would drill this deep into our souls as we enter into a new year, Lord willing. We pray that we would enter into this year confidently, knowing that even if the world gives way, Christ still reigns. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.